What's up, Pastor Kevin Davis here at Woodland Friends Church. Man, I got to stop making uh, promises. Uh, if you were looking for the communion service sermon, uh, it wasn't recorded because I wasn't there because I was sick. And my usual fill-in guy wasn't around. He was out with Christmas with family. So we had another guy fill in for the both of us, but nobody was there to record the sermon. And then on Christmas Day, I was sick, so, I mean, I had Christmas Day covered as far as the audio uh, online here, but man, I was bummed because I missed out on Christmas Day. But <clears throat> the same sickness that had me and my family down had a few folks down um, at the church so that our planned nativity play being put on by kids didn't happen on Christmas. It's actually happening today on New Year's Day. And because of that, I get to release for you one more sermon from the vault. It's going to be a sermon out of our Mark series. I originally preached in March of 2016. Uh, now, I shouldn't make promises, but God willing, my plan is, is we will begin new and fresh in the last time in our Acts series. So I believe if you go back to... Uh, May of last year, so that's the last time that I was in the book of Acts. We'll be returning to chapter 21, and hopefully before Easter I'll have chapter 28 finished. Maybe not, <clears throat> but that's what we're going to be doing. Again, God willing, I shouldn't make plans, but God willing, next Sunday you'll start getting new sermons every Sunday. And if you didn't know this, if you're listening on our online crowd, I do post the sermons streaming on my Facebook, personal Facebook. So if you look up Kevin Davis, Woodland French Church, uh, hopefully you'll find my profile. Um, as of today, um, it's a picture of my son from a few years ago wearing some wonderful Christmas glasses. But um, I post my videos publicly, so you don't even have to be my Facebook friend. You could just follow me. If you want to see uh, Sunday as I deliver them live. Uh, thanks for tuning in every week, guys. Take care. Happy New Year's. Hope 2023 is a better year. The bar is set pretty low. So <clears throat> you can be turning to Mark chapter three. And as you do, I want you to reflect a little on everyone in this building right here. Start thinking about people next to you, people that you know part of the Woodland Fringe Church. Now I'm going to make a statement. Aren't we one weird family? <laughs> I mean, for some of you in some areas might think a little too weird. I mean, if that guy would just stop buying guns and stockpiling, you might rest a little more easier. Or if that gal just stopped asking for prayers about that same situation... Or maybe if that guy just stopped reading aloud that very weird translation of the Bible. Or, uh, you know, when is that guy going to learn that Christians probably shouldn't have that language? <laughs> when is that gal going to only offer two minutes of prayers and not 20? <laughs> when is the pastor going to shut up about coffee in his sermons? <laughs> Never. <laughs> Speaking of coffee, I have a story. That's good. <laughs> But even con considering the coffee remark, let me just tell you in conversations that I've had with other pastors, and I've been at a few churches, most of you probably know that 
every church has a weird and diverse family. I mean, I'll give it, Woodland might have some really eccentric people, but every church is just weird and diverse because the family of God in its entirety is just weird and diverse. And the question is, is can Jesus reconcile us and keep us weird and diverse altogether and useful for the purposes of his kingdom and his glory? Well, please stand, and Mark's going to introduce to us today some weird family members way back when Jesus first organized his church. I don't know if it's amazing or stupid that I can take a list of people and make a sermon out of it, but here we go. Mark chapter 3, beginning with verse 16. He, that is Jesus, appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boundaries, that is, the sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, if you're not here, there's no use being here. So I pray that you would speak to us. Father, as we look at these first people that you appointed, you might see reflections of us in them. Father, help us as we look at these people to get a better understanding of how the church is the church. Father, we want to hear from you. So get me out of the way. Say what you would wish. We bring our sins, our worries, our fears, all to you, not forgetting them, but giving them to you and say, can you, can you take these? That's what we do today. We want to hear from you. We ask and pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I had to write this down. All apostles are disciples, but not all disciples are apostles. All apostles are disciples, but not all disciples are apostles. Let me give you a really specific example. In essence, the entire body of Christ, the invisible body of Christ throughout all churches, all true believers, if they're genuine and if they're yearning to learn about Jesus through church fellowship, Bible reading, praying, and so forth, they are all disciples of Jesus. The Friends denomination called friends because what Jesus calls his disciples in John 15. So you and I were disciples of Jesus. Disciple literally means, whenever used when referring to the 12 followers of Jesus, means learner or pupil. Anytime you're learning from, for something, from something, you're being discipled. I've been discipled in how to be a Pepsi merchandiser before. <laughs> I trained and I observed, I asked questions, I made adjustments on how to be a better Pepsi merchandiser. Jesus has been discipling people. Time after time throughout the book of Mark, and oftentimes at the Sea of Galilee, Jesus has been calling people to follow him. He first met Simon Peter and his brother Andrew there. As well as James and John, he later met Matthew, or also named Levi. And he went there again. We looked at it two weeks ago. He got smothered by a crowd. But let's backtrack a little bit. I want to go back to verse 13 in Mark chapter 3. Verse 13. It says, And Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him, 
those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve. I'll just stop right there. Verse 14 says, Jesus named these twelve appointed disciples apostles. Again, all apostles are disciples, but not all disciples are apostles. Now, when disciple means pupil or learner, and everybody can be one, and everyone, if they desire, can be a disciple of Jesus, what does apostle mean? Well, an apostle means a delegate or a messenger. Now, some people will say that only the original 12 here have that name, plus Matthias, the replacement for Judas, and Paul, who claims he's the one abnormally born. But we would note elsewhere in the Bible, it has been applied more openly to eminent Christian teachers. I think I did a... There we go, yes. Acts chapter 14, verse 14 says that Barnabas was called an apostle. The letter to... The Thessalonians, First Thessalonians, was penned, and at the beginning it says it's from Paul, Sylvanius, and Timothy. And in chapter 2, verse 6, Paul says, We, plural, could have made demands to you as apostles. Plural, again, referring to Saul, Sylvanius, and Timothy. The point being is that is apostle a closed term no longer to be used? I, I don't think so. Now, is it used improperly, or is the designation of apostle while referring to a Christian messenger, delegate, or ambassador, is it sometimes misused or used too freely? Yes, I think sometimes it's taken too lightly. But the point being is that Jesus is about to pull 12 people. He's going to call them apostles, and they are from his following. We don't know how many people were following Jesus up to this point, at some point in his ministry, Jesus was able to commission 72 people to do something. So I'm assuming that as Jesus appoints 12, he's pulling from maybe a couple dozen followers at this point, who are maybe with him more often than just different crowds gathering wherever Jesus is at. Now these delegates, these ambassadors, messengers, uh, verses 14 and 15 told us that they might be with him. He might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. When Matthew is telling this story, he says that they also have the authority to heal. So Jesus is setting aside 12 members of his church, if you will, to basically be missionary pastors. This is kind of where church organizational leadership comes from. You know, we look at the Bible and say, hey, they got organized. Maybe we should too. And uh, at your church in Woodland, Hopefully all of us are part of the body of Christ, pulling our weight, utilizing our strengths, utilizing our talents, utilizing the gifts of the Spirit that God has given us. But even though the, we have designated three members as elders, we have designated other members as stewards, we have different committees for different occasions, but don't hear me wrong, what Jesus is doing here, the twelve apostles, is a big deal. <laughs> This is going to be the 12 men that are going to be the 12 future leaders of the church. And in fact, Jesus is basically making them leaders at this point. But before we look at this list, I want to remind you real quickly, Mark, again, he is writing mostly from Peter's diction. 
Mark has talked to Peter the Apostle, and Peter is telling him all these things that happened, and Mark is writing down the Gospel account, largely from Peter's mind and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So more than any other Gospel account, Mark is the one that often gives the nicknames, or the other names, of these Apostles. It's very familiar. We start off in 3.16, and it says, He, that is Jesus, appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. There's the name that Mark takes note of. Now the other places where these lists are at are Matthew 10, Luke 6, Acts chapter 1. And whenever any list of the disciples is made, Peter is always first. You know, you even look back in Matthew 1, 16, where Peter was first called. He was the first called along with Andrew. You look at places almost like Acts chapter 5, verse 15, and you see Peter, for, for all intents and purposes, is being seen as Jesus 2.0 by the crowds. He's become the leader of the disciples. Uh, we see here in 5.15 that um, people, people are coming just hoping that Peter's shadow falls on them. Because, but Peter is constantly telling them, do not worship me, I'm just a mere man. All the power is coming from Jesus. He's the one accomplishing things. Peter's other name, Simon, is a common name in that day. We're going to see it in another apostle's name. Simon simply means he has heard, he there being God. It's an interesting name that I think tells us that God called Simon, and Simon heard. (laughs) Interesting to me. And then... You all know the story of how Simon became Peter. You go back to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to look at that real quickly. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they, that his disciples, say, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, some of you probably know there's a little bit of debate (laughs) around this passage. Some of you are going to get very anti-Catholic and say, this probably means anything else than what the Catholics say about it. That's always a good logical approach to theology, or not. (laughs) The question is, is what is Jesus referring to? Uh, Jesus names Peter. Peter means rock. What is the rock? What is the foundation, the cornerstone of Jesus' church here? Now, there are three prevailing views, and they probably have real sophisticated names that I didn't care to look up. The first view is that Jesus was maybe referring to Peter's confession as Christ. As Christ is the rock. He's the cornerstone which builds Jesus' church. I believe that answer is true. Because if a person confesses with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, they're building the church of Jesus If a group of people make that confession together, it's a church. Another view says that Jesus is referring to the rock of the church as himself. Jesus is the rock. Jesus is the cornerstone. This is true as well. (laughs) 
Peter says in his own letter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Indeed, those very words. Still another view says that Peter is the rock. Because Jesus is saying that Peter will be the rock, the cornerstone, the foundation of the church. I'm not saying Peter is the first pope. You're more than welcome to. But Peter is the first among equals. He is the leader of the church after Jesus leaves. Because I said... The Bible is evident, especially throughout Acts, that Peter is the leader. So I think all three of these views, in my mind, are basically 100% true. I don't think Jesus really cared to elaborate, probably because it wasn't entirely important, because all three of those views are true. Now, besides all this, we know that Peter is often one who speaks or acts before he thinks. <laughs> and many of us can identify with him. He's going out to walk on water, and I had to find this joke for you. Uh, Peter's early attempts to walk on water with Jesus displayed an inadequate amount of faith. He has his little inner tube there. <laughs> but you, you know the story. He goes out there. He's about to walk on water. He looks around, and he starts thinking. Well, later on in Mark, we're going to read that Peter, as well as Jesus and James and John, are all up on a mountain. It's like the best church service ever. Moses and Elijah are showing up out of nowhere. And Peter just kills the moment with this grandiose idea that he says, you know, I want to stay here for a while. Why don't I go get some tents? Why don't we get some tents up and we can stay here for a while? This, this just reminds me, you know, Christy and I will be watching a chick flick. And it's a very romantic moment and they're about to kiss or whatever. And I make some wisecrack. And usually she's killing the moment there, you know. That's kind of what Peter did. We move on in Mark. He's a, and also I wanted to say, if Peter is just painfully human, but this is the leader that Jesus wanted for his church. And so I take great hope in that. But we move on in Mark. We're going to list off two other guys. <clears throat> the interesting thing, though, this is actually from Mark 1, back when first Peter, also called Simon and Andrew, were first called. You notice that they were together there. Because they were brothers. But interestingly enough, when Mark is writing down the list of apostles, we have James the son of Zebedee and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanjeries, or the sons of thunder. But then Andrew comes after that. So why did Peter be listed with James and John? Because this is an inner circle. <laughs> This is Jesus' closest friends, if you will. They were the ones who just got to go see the transfiguration I just talked about. That's why these three are listed together. James and John. Boanjeries. Yes, I looked up the pronunciation of that word. It doesn't look like it, but apparently that's how you pronounce it. The actual Hebrew might suggest loud ones or hot-tempered pair. The nickname that Jesus gives them is the Sons of Thunder. You know what that reminds me of? My grandfather really liked fake wrestling. WWF, as it was back in then. Just all the entrants and all the weird names. The Sons of Thunder sounds like a tag team to me. <laughs> I mean, ACDC music is going on. They're coming into the stadium. <clears throat> and, you, and you know why, as you read throughout the Gospel accounts. Later on in Mark, John is going to tell... Jesus, hey, we saw somebody outside of Jesus' first church casting out demons in your name. Since he doesn't attend Jesus' first church, we told him he needs to stop that. Uh, it would be almost if I called up the Life Center and said, hey, can you just stop doing church? 
That's kind of the idea there, a little rash, a little bold, a little unloving. But possibly my favorite story in the whole Bible, because I think it's so humorous, if you go over to Luke chapter 9, we begin with verse 52, and Jesus sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. So they're in Samaria. Samaria comes from a long line of half-Jewish, half-cultish people who don't like Jerusalem. They disagree that Jerusalem is the holy city. They disagree that God resides at the temple there. So knowing that Jesus and his church are part of the Jewish faith, that worshipped at Jerusalem, they reject and they're inhospitable towards Jesus and his people. Well, look at what the sons of thunder do next. Verse 54, And when his disciples James and John saw, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? <laughs> Seems sensible, I guess. Uh, we showed up, they profiled us, they're not hospitable, so we're thinking Sodom and Gomorrah all over again. Okay, Jesus... John's raiding our armory right now. We're pulling out bazookas. I got a few Molotov cocktails lining up. What do you think, Jesus? Just a little overreactive. Just a little too angry. That's what Jesus says in verse 55, and he turned and rebuked them. Now, every time I read that verse, it's like, Luke, please, could you at least elaborate it? I wanted to see that rebuke. No, you idiots. <laughs> Things like that. The tag team hotheads are part of Jesus' 12. I mean, how would you like that in our church elders? And some of you are like, well, we do have people like that. <laughs> this is Jesus' inner circle. Peter, the act-before-you-think guy, the guy who's going to betray Jesus, leave him alone to suffer, and then these hotheads, this is the leadership within the disciples, the inner circle. Now, some people wonder, well, why did Peter... James and John, how come they're the favored ones? How come they're the inner circle? I don't know, but all I will say is I grew up in public school, and when there were class clowns and idiots in the class, where did they sit? Right next to the teacher's desk. <laughs> Just going to leave that there. That's all I'm saying. We read back in our original list, uh, verse 18. The next guys on the list are Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew. Andrew is Peter's brother. And according to John chapter 1, Andrew is the first disciple. See, John the evangelist, he's talking about John the Baptist in his book. So John chapter 1, verse 40 says, One of the two who heard John the Baptist speak, and they followed Jesus, was Andrew, Simon's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Besides that little occasion where Andrew is the primary character, we read very little about him. Elsewhere, it's evident that Andrew, sometimes he gets to tag along with Peter, James, and John. Maybe he was also a class clown that needed a little extra attention. But he gets to tag along and be part of their inner circle. Andrew is the guy in John chapter 6 who finds the fish and the bread. He says, takes it to Jesus, and he says, hey, this kid has a Lunchable. You want to do something with that? Um, here's a, here's a nice story, another story. Jesus is saying, would you like to supersize that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had to make this interesting somehow. <laughs> but for the most part, what we see Andrew doing in most stories is connecting people. Like he connected Peter to Jesus, Andrew often passes information along. 
Some of you might say, yeah, I'm like that. I'm not talking about gossiping. (laughs) There's a difference. But in all seriousness, Andrew kind of works behind the scenes. He's connecting people, very resourceful. I want you to see that without no Andrew, Peter would have had to find another way to come to Jesus. Andrew's kind of like, though, a co-star, a supporting character, but still a necessary character. Other supporting characters, if you will, are Philip and Bartholomew. Now, some of you might be thinking about the book of Acts and a Philip that went down into Samaria. No, that's a different Philip. That's not the same Philip. Church history and tradition tells us that Bartholomew might also be the one called Nathaniel. This is because John records a Nathaniel being a disciple of Jesus, but he doesn't record a Bartholomew. And by process of elimination of comparing all the lists, we say, okay, Nathaniel is probably Bartholomew. If you go back to John chapter 1, John seems to be the only guy who gives us a lot of history about these people. So verse 43 says, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip, and he said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You know, I call Philip and Nathanael or Bartholomew, I I call these people the critical thinkers. I mean, they're, they're from Mississippi, the show-me state. <laughs> Missouri. I'm glad you guys knew that. <laughs> Nathaniel, maybe I did that on purpose to keep you, let me see if you were listening. Yeah. <laughs> Nathaniel had it proved to them that Jesus was the real deal. And it's almost as if you read through the gospel accounts, their thirst could never be quenched by anything else. If you, if you look on later in John, particularly chapter 14, you see Peter's desire to see the real deal all the more. Uh, John 14, verse 8 says, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. Show me, state. <laughs> and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long that you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen the Father, how can you say, show us the Father? Excuse me, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Verse 10, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. The Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on the accounts of the works themselves. You see the hearts of these skeptics. (laughs) They want Jesus. They want the real deal. I wonder if there's a few skeptics in Woodland Fringe Church, a few critical thinkers, the no-nonsense thinkers. Next, as Mark goes through the disciples, back in Mark chapter 3, verse 18, are what I like to call the baggage carriers, Matthew and Thomas. Mark, 
like a few other gospel accounts, goes into detail who Matthew was. This is also Levi. This is the guy who was a tax collector. Tax collectors, I was going to say, carry a worse stigma in their day than IRS people do in our day, but maybe it's the same stigma. I don't know. But these were Jews who worked for Rome at the expense of other Jews. They often ripped off their fellow man. They were collecting taxes for Rome, and they pocketed money at times in their dealings. And Jesus comes to the Sea of Galilee, as recorded in Mark 2, verse 13. Matthew, also known as Levi, was there. We don't know the exact reasons why or how. All Jesus says is, follow me. And Levi gets up and follows him. Levi has a past and a stigma to get over. See, I wonder if you imagine if that was kind of hard for Peter, Andrew, James, and John, who were already with Jesus, and then somebody with this stigma and this past, Matthew, you want to take him with us too, Jesus? Right? I wonder if you've ever had those Christians in your lives who are just a little leery, a little cautious, maybe a little worried that they might revert to some of their past habits. Maybe some of the disciples, you think maybe they were worried about the wrong guy? Well, we're not going to let Matthew handle the money. We're going to give it to a guy we can trust, Judas Iscariot. <laughs> maybe that's kind of what happened. We'll talk about Judas in a minute or two. Next is Thomas. And we all know the phrase, Thomas the doubter, or don't be a doubting Thomas. John chapter 20 records this story. Thomas wouldn't believe in Jesus' resurrection until he sticks his hands in the wounds. And Jesus, of course, replies, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Nobody forgets this story because post-Jesus' ascension, Everybody can identify with it. <laughs> Unless if by supernatural vision, you and I have never seen the resurrected body of Christ. And Thomas, he may not carry the baggage of doubter with his peers, maybe he did, but he at least carries this baggage with the rest of church history. I mean, most of us, if not all of us, we usually pair up Thomas with this episode of doubt. And in doing so, we overlook a very important part of his character. There is one measly little verse that might tell us that Thomas was also a little bit brave. How many of you, through your walk with Christ, you, you made a mistake or you showed part of your humanity in which it always over, overshadows anything else you ever do? When Jesus and company, whenever they were told about Lazarus' death in John chapter 11, the disciples do something that they never do, and that is bicker. <laughs> they start bickering. And they don't want to head towards Jerusalem. Why? Well, because Jerusalem is growing increasingly hostile towards Jesus and his people. This is, in fact, just two or three months, probably, before Jesus is crucified. And they're saying, well, let's not go there. It's, it's too dangerous. Lazarus is a dead guy anyways. What can Jesus do? John records in chapter 11, verse 16, So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Uh, this is a little confidence, I think, in Thomas. Uh, and this is the verse that John uses that transitions from Jesus and company hearing about it. And the next verse, they're there in Bethany. I'm not saying that this was the deciding factor, but it certainly is a show of bravery that the rest of the disciples took heed to and followed his example. Back in Mark 3, in the verse 18, the list continues. 
with what I call the behind the sceners. <laughs> There's a few names, a few people that we can deduce very little about because, quite frankly, the passages in the Bible are very slim to none outside listing their names. And James, the son of Alphaeus, this is just one James among many Jameses. Uh, the only other possible, and I'm just going to say a possible mention, not an entirely certain mention of his name, is in Mark 15:40. And in that verse, Mark is writing about those who are present at Jesus' crucifixion from afar, and one person is the, quote, the mother of James the Younger. <laughs> now, some say, well, that's probably a reference to the son of Alphaeus. That's not very clear. We don't know. Um, this James also may be a brother of Levi or Matthew because he's the son of Alphaeus. That's who Levi is, the son of, whenever in Mark 2. Mark continues, and Thaddeus, who is another one of these two-namers, <laughs> like Simon Peter, Bartholomew, Nathaniel, Levi, Matthew. As you compare this list with other lists of the disciples, Thaddeus is named Judas, not Judas Iscariot. <laughs> Uh, you're probably completely apparent, apparent as to why he wants to go by Thaddeus now, right? <laughs> I mean, it's like all the people named Osama bin Laden were going to the courts and changing their names after 9-11. I'll go by Thaddeus now. <laughs> <laughs> and the last part of Mark 3.18 says Simon the Zealot. The only place this guy shows up in Scripture is whenever he's listed. <laughs> it's the only place he's shown up. There is a sect of Jews called the Zealots, <clears throat> These were mercenary Jews. They wanted to throw off Roman oppression. They wanted to reclaim independence. They were willing to do it by military force. All I'm saying is that within the list of disciples, if there was ever a woodlander, <laughs> Simon might be it. I don't know. <clears throat> but some historians say that this sect of zealots weren't even established yet. They don't say that maybe they weren't established yet. In any case, Mark or Jesus just could have given him this nickname because he had an attitude or a temperament like the zealots later on. So are you getting the picture here of Jesus' first church? I mean, uh, Nathaniel or Bartholomew asks if anything can good come from Nazareth, but then they join a church that has a few successful fishermen, a tax collector, a zealous revolutionary. This is the group of men the church is established, that the church is established within. After Jesus ascends. It's led by none other than speak before you think Jesus denying Peter. But we're not done yet with our list. One more. Verse 19. And Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Again the irony it might be that Levi he probably had a stigma to overcome being a tax collector. But John records for us twice that Judas was the treasurer and he abused it. And every gospel account whenever Judas is mentioned... It just, it just immediately gives away, ah, oh, this is the guy who betrayed Jesus. I'm assuming that some of the writers really didn't like this guy, or are struggling really hard to show him grace posthumously. This is like what happens whenever you're taught in school about a little known guy named Benedict Arnold. <laughs> See, the first thing you read about in history books, the first thing I remember is that, oh, this guy is associated with treason. It wasn't after until I started reading a little bit more about the Revolutionary War, that if he had not committed treason, he would have gone down as a war hero. He made a lot of victories. He, Anyways, he has some heroic feats that are attributed to him had he not committed treason. You know, if the Bible were fiction, but it's not, but if it were fiction, 
A good plot setup device in my mind would, lead, would to be to reveal Judas's betrayal as the disciples heard it at the Last Supper. But the Bible is not fiction. It's not looking to impress with plot twists or slow reveals. It's reality. And though the disciples did not know on that afternoon or evening or whenever Jesus appointed his twelve that Judas would be a betrayer, guess what? God knew. And though you're in here right now and maybe you've been a Christian for many years, God knows what your ending is going to look like. It is my hope and my desire, and I believe it's God's ultimate hope and desire that your ending will be with him. Because the story of Judas is not a story of a character cast to play a doomed role without any personal free will to choose otherwise. The story of Judas is a story that you and I can easily share. Because like Judas, we all share the problem of sin. The question is, is what are we doing with that sin? As we've looked at these disciples and read just a little bit about the origins of them out of the Bible, have you seen that the Bible paints these leaders of the church very painfully human. There are accounts and accounts of sins and flaws in their lives. Judas isn't the only one who betrayed Jesus. In fact, most disciples, except John, left Jesus to die. Judas is the only one who didn't repent. Sure, he felt guilty, but he didn't take his guilt to Jesus. And meanwhile, John is the guy who may have not left Judas, but this is the guy who wants to blow up a Samaritan village. What is with these guys? These guys are all like us. They're all sinners. Friends, the story of Jesus appointing 12 disciples to become apostles is the story of what happens when sinners meet grace in the face of Jesus. If there is any hope I want you to take today as we look through these 12 sinners, is I want you to see that there is hope for you and me. See, some of you... Some, all of us, might have excuses as to why we can't be used for good reasons in Jesus' kingdom. Some of you might say, Kevin, you just oh, you don't know my past. Some of you might say, Kevin, I'm just uh, I'm a bit too reckless. I got an anger problem. I don't like people. Some of you might use your age as an excuse. Some of you might be like me. And I'll just say, I'm too much of an introvert, I'm not qualified, my personality type is J-E-R-K, I just don't think it's going to work. <laughs> Meanwhile, Jesus is organizing his church of leadership with fishermen, revolutionary soldier, tag team, with anger management problems, critics. He offers a chance even to the sinner who's going to choose sin over him. What is Jesus doing here? Is he picking them all haphazardly? No, he knows exactly what he's doing. Jesus' grace is sufficient. And because these disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit, or they're going to be, they are not going to let Jesus down. Even after the cross, Jesus is going to forgive them. He's going to reinstate Peter. He's going to fill each and every one of them with the Holy Spirit. These men were appointed by God, are going to be equipped by God, are going to bring glory to God, and are going to worship God with their final breath. Friends, Jesus has called each and every one of you to Woodland Friends Church for such a time as this. Acts 17.26 says that God has appointed every man to their allotted time, place, period of living 
And today you find yourselves professing to be Christians, living in woodland. Now I have to ask you, if you're a disciple of Jesus, what is he appointing you to? It may not be missionary preaching, but is he appointing you to do something to further his kingdom? Are you going to let sin get in the way? Or like these disciples, are you going to let Jesus disciple you? Are you going to let Jesus work with you? Are you going to work for Jesus and his people, for his purposes, for his kingdom? Friends, he's given you the grace to do so. I don't think God woke up today and said, well, how'd that guy get in the French church? Hmm. <laughs> no, he knows exactly what he's doing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you looked at us. We looked at these disciples. We look at ourselves, and sometimes we feel painfully inadequate, painfully unqualified. But the saying goes is that you don't call the qualified, you qualify those who you call. So, Father, we ask for a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit. We ask again that you would continue to forgive us of our sins. Thank you that you never give up on us. You never leave us nor forsake us. Continue to work in our hearts, our minds, our lives. Help us to be building your kingdom with you. Help us to choose you daily, to surrender to you daily. Father, give us clear eyes as to how we can be of service to your kingdom. Father, with John the Baptist, we pray, I must decrease and you must increase. May that be true in our lives today. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to gather today. And as we think about what we're about to partake downstairs, we pray that you would bless the hands that have prepared the food. We pray that you would um, bless our fellowship with one another. We ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.